to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton. And my name is Adam Jones. Today we're taking you through the best bits of Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Master your mind and defy the odds. Do you know what you're really capable of? I'd say the answer is probably no. For The answer for myself is, uh, is probably no. And uh, don't worry, you're not alone. Goggins says that in every town, in every country, all over the world, millions of people are roaming the streets just like dead-eyed zombies, addicted to comfort, embracing the victim mentality, unaware of their true potential. And like us, the main man Goggins, he used to be one of them. Mm, absolutely. I guess if you were to find out what you're capable of, you would be explore what your uppermost limit of capacity is, which a lot of us don't actually go there. But for Goggins, at the very start of his journey, life really dealt him a bad hand. He was born broken. He grew up with beat downs, getting beaten up by his dad, tormented at school, copped all sorts of racist remarks. He was then poor, surviving on welfare, living in government subsidy housing, and had a smothering depression. So he had a pretty shit You'd have to say that uh, this is pretty close to the bottom of the barrel. He said his future out, uh, his future outlook was bleak, was extremely bleak. Uh, he says that he was at the bottom. Most people don't even know what the bottom looks like. But once you're down there, every time you try to pull yourself up, you just get sucked back down further to the bottom. Any, everything you try, every little self-help hack, every new lesson, it doesn't actually rewire your brain. It doesn't amplify your voice. It doesn't improve your life. It might be a temporary band-aid, but very soon, you're just back to where you started. So, Can't Hurt Me in this episode we're going to go through is how Goggins, he started from these rock bottom, but he transformed himself into a new person, seeking after pain and becoming a serious one hell of a weapon, you could say, and uh, fell in love with suffering and became one of the baddest men on the planet. Are we going to put the explicit rating on this app? I yes. think should, yeah? yeah. Well, basically, this is what Goggins said in his own words. He says, he transformed himself from the weakest piece of shit on the planet to one of the hardest motherfuckers God has ever created. So, he's... He's not humble, but uh, he reckons he's done pretty well. Well, I think it's and very it's, true if you've uh, <laughs> followed him on Instagram. Uh, we got another quote from Heraclitus, a philosopher from the Persian Empire in the 5th century BC. He says, out of every 100 men uh, or out of every 100 people, 10 shouldn't be here. Uh, 80 are just useless targets. Nine <laughs> are real fighters and we're lucky to have them. But there's one that's the true warrior. <laughs> so Goggins, he's become this true warrior. You got to decide which you want to be. Are you just should you not even be here? Are you just a target for the battlefield? Are you a real fighter, or are you going to be the warrior? David Goggins grew up in 1981 in Williamsville in a high class place in Buffalo, New York. It's full of friendly doctors, attorneys, steel plant executives, dentists, football players and their wives and uh, 2.2 kids. So there was a lot of big dogs around with really fancy cars, but there was a big difference with what was going on in his household compared to the rest. Each evening, his family went to sit at the table and do the classic family dinner, but this was a real bullshit facade because they were eating fast because they knew at 7 p.m. when the doors opened, it was showtime. Trunus, their father, he walked in and he was the boss of this house. He scanned the room with this all-seeing eye. And if you'd fucked up in any kind of little way, you'd hear about it unless you felt it first. So Trunus was, a, uh, was an evil man around this household. Pretty much every night, there was some kind of whipping or some kind of beatdown. Generally, he'd whip his belt off after his day at, uh, at work. And generally, the kids, the two kids, Goggins and his brother, they copped the belt end and then the mother copped the buckle end first. Some nights, she fought back. And those nights, Trunus, he uh, went down and kicked the door down to the bathroom, backhanded her very hard. One night, she slammed her head against the wall and there was blood everywhere. And on this particular evening, the cops came. Trunus, he went and met them at the door. And they looked over his shoulder and they could see the mum with all the blood and the marks all over her face. 
But uh, Trunus, he somehow explains it away, just being necessary domestic discipline. Also, there's no Me Too movement back then and uh, bullshit. So it was very, as you can imagine, man, extremely difficult for the mother and trying to bring up two kids in this kind of environment. Yeah, if, you, um, if you're rationalizing, uh, you know, knocking someone unconscious, you know, breaking bones in their face and leaving them bleedy is just uh, necessary domestic discipline. I think that gives you enough of an indication of what that household was like. And for the mother, these daily beatdowns, they really just sapped all emotion out of her. She was very much vacant. She was just like a living in, I guess, a fog. She was just a shadow of herself. It was almost impossible for her to sort of break out of this. And she just finally said to herself one day, look, I'm getting out. She said to her two kids, David and his brother, he said, look, I'm leaving. You can either stay here with big old Trunus or you can come with me. Now, Goggins, at even eight years old, he came to his senses and just left straight away. And after eight years of absolute living in uh, hell on earth, he really entered this new second phase of life. But at this stage, he suffered from toxic stress. He was immediately labeled special, which obviously when you're that age, even then, you know, you know, it just means you're not normal. And he was really the only black kid in the neighborhood as well where he was going to. So for those first years, David, he was given a specific set of cards using a poker analogy would be probably the worst possible card you can get and very hard to make a life from this point in time. Yeah, obviously Goggins was um, had been dealt a very rough hand uh, and you might be thinking as well, you've been dealt a very rough hand. Uh, Goggins says, look, everybody has been. Um, he says, everybody has got some kind of shit in their past that they're dealing with. Uh, often it makes us feel insecure, it limits our potential for growth. Uh, we always use it as, as excuses to, uh, you know, walk around acting as like a victim and limiting our potential. Uh, but Goggin says that everybody's got that sort of stuff and you've got to put all your cards on the table and try to work out, look, what have you dealt with in life? Admit it to yourself. Get it all out in the open. When I say out in the open, out in the open with you and yourself. Yeah, some people who might be like Goggins having that beatdown style where you're we got challenges in that sense, but for other people, it might be the other way where you're so supported and you're so comfortable that your parents who've just given you such an easy life that you've never really been given the opportunity to push yourself and learn and grow in any kind of way. So Goggin says, get a journal, uh, whether it's a digital or a physical journal, and don't be bland with this. Be aware of all the hurt that you've had to deal with and tell your story to yourself in full. You know, Lay out all of the pain, lay out all of those bad cards that you got dealt uh, and realize that uh, you got to just tell your true story. Get it all out on, in the open. You don't have to do anything with it yet, but just take inventory of all the shit that you've had to deal with in your life up till now. Going forward, this is going to be our fuel for our ultimate success. A lot of us, because it's so scary and painful to look at these bad hands that we've been dealt with, that we never look at them. But right now, we're really going to use this fuel to drive us forward. Goggins was still just a kid at this point. So uh, whilst your advice was to journal or to spell out your, your story up till now, Goggins hadn't got to this point yet. He was still very much in the land of the victim. He was a, he'd become a teenager, and ultimately, all of the things that had happened up till his life were really coming back to haunt him. His uh, dad had treated him like shit. His dad had said he was weak, he was a loser, uh, a whole bunch of other expletives that probably don't need to be repeated as well, and that's how Goggins saw himself as well. He uh, basically saw himself as the absolute bottom of the bottom, and he really did everything he could to make that image come true in real life. He caught a lot of racist remarks, but his way of trying to piss them racist off is, was becoming that exact stereotype racist white people loathed and, uh, and feared. So he wore his pants down low to his ass. 
you drove this ghetto car with huge speakers out the back pumping Snoop Dogg's gin and juice with the fuzzy dice hanging in the rearview mirror. So really tapping into that stereotype gangster there. And he was really fat. He just pumped on the kilograms and he was in real pain. He had no purpose in his life and he really gave up on any chance of success. But there was only one dream he had left in his back pocket and this was to enter the Air Force. So his dad had called a loser. He viewed himself as a loser. He became a loser, but still in the back of his mind, he thought uh, one way to become a winner was to get into the Air Force. Uh, but then one night, he was taking a shower. He uh, wiped the steam away from the bathroom mirror. He had a good hard look at himself, and he really didn't like what was staring back. He basically saw this low-budget wannabe thug. Uh, he wasn't even like hard enough to be a gangster. He was just a fake gangster, really, a wannabe gangster. He had no purpose. He had no future. He just felt so disgusted. He wanted to reach out and punch the motherfucker straight in the face, as he said, and just he wanted to shatter the glass, and he probably kind of wanted to feel a little bit of the pain as well. And this mirror looked at him back and gave him some information that said, look at you, why do you think the Air Force wants your punk ass? You're one dumb motherfucker, you read like a third grader and you're a fucking joke. You've never tried hard anything at your life besides basketball. You got no goals. You don't see people in the military sagging down their pants looking like wannabe loser gangsters. So this was a real spontaneous venting session and he landed on, you know what? Yeah, shit's fucked up. I know what you've been through. I was there, bitch. Merry fucking Christmas. <laughs> That's it. He was really letting himself have it here, he, uh, both himself and the bloke in the mirror that was looking back at him. And from this moment, a new ritual was born. And this was the ritual of the accountability mirror. Each day, he'd look in the mirror and hold himself accountable. He had his goal, which is to get to the Air Force. And of course, he had his daily actions. And he could every night, he could then look. With the things that he did that day, were they getting him closer to that ultimate goal or not? Because the mirror doesn't lie. And of course, this is something that we can all do today. Whatever our goals and ambitions might be in life, we need to actually look at ourselves in the mirror and just ask ourselves, are our actions aligned with what our ambitions and goals are? We need to tell the truth to ourselves, right? Like if you look in the mirror, like I did post-COVID lockdown and just shit, put on a few kgs. <laughs> if you're fat, tell yourself you're fucking fat. Yeah, Goggins says, don't say, oh, I've just put on a few kgs. He says, you're fucking fat. That's the Goggins <laughs> approach. You, gotta, you can't hold back from yourself. Uh, he says you can lie. You can make yourself feel a little bit good. You can feel a little bit of pain, but then say, oh, no, it's all right. We just had COVID. Mm. But he's saying, no. Nah. He says, you've got to call yourself out. Make yourself feel that pain. David Ramsey in, in his book said the exact same metaphor as well with looking yourself in the mirror. You might have financial goals, but you're just putting yourself in debt and you're living a different lifestyle. Nobody likes hearing the hard truth individually or as a culture. We're really avoiding the things that we need to hear most because the world is fucked up and there are major problems for our society. And it's very easy to, to look outside and point the finger at the rest of our culture. But really, the only way you're going to transform and improve your life is to Get that finger and point it at the accountability mm. mirror because it's you who's going to be able to dig yourself out of this mess. Yeah, Goggins had been uh, blaming his upbringing, blaming his parents, blaming his school, blaming the racist society. He was blaming everything until he looked in that mirror and started blaming himself. Uh, he was 300 pounds. If he wanted to get into the Air Force, he had two specific things that he had to do. Firstly, he had to lose 100 pounds in three months because that's when the next intake was. And he also had to study. He had to learn because, as he said, he'd been reading at a third grade level still. He'd been labeled as special in the special class, which obviously isn't a good thing. So, he had those two things that he had to do and it was all on him. So, in particular, man, 100 pounds, what's that in kilos? Like 40, that's a lot. 40 kilograms. Got, in, even more, like 42, 43. In three months. And this is insane, right? And this is coming from someone who hasn't done really anything important at this stage in his life. 
And what he found inspiration from was Rocky 1. And I think everyone out there, we can assume, seen Rocky. I haven't seen it. Haven't you really? Are <laughs> you bloody serious? Many, there's a long list of ones I haven't seen. What do you, I know the song. Mate, you, you spend way too much time watching bullshit shows like Survivor <laughs> and Lost. You get nothing out just, of that. And I, for the first time ever, I downloaded TikTok and just watched four hours in the last <laughs> in the last twenty four hours. I've I've probably slept for eight of those, mm. and then TikToked for another four of those. <laughs> mate, maybe I'll be able to sell it on you now because in the movie you got Rocky Sylvester Stallone. So he's a bum, and he gets his one shot in his mid thirties to go up against the champ. Obviously, everyone thinks he's got no chance whatsoever against Apollo Creed. And his goal, right, is just to go the distance because no one has ever done that with Apollo. It's actually to stand there, cop all the blows that Apollo's going to give him and make it to the very end without being knocked out. So Rocky, he done very well and he got to the 14th round just getting smacked up by Apollo the whole time. And body stage is bloody and intense. And in the middle of the round... He goes to the corner and Apollo comes up to him, stalking him like a bloody lion. He throws a few sharp left jabs and throws an uppercut that smacks Rocky with jelly legs onto the ground. Apollo, at this stage, he thinks, all right, I've just been doing 14 rounds of this. I've hit him with the biggest uppercut in my whole entire life. Puts his hands up. I've won this bloody fight. Rocky's down. I don't know if I want to hear the end of the story. Is this a spoiler coming? Yeah, well, it's a bit of a spoiler. Well, but I then, suppose I, yeah. well, you know what's going to happen anyway, I think. <laughs> but at this stage, he's on the ground. And the ref begins the 10 count. Mickey, Rocky's trainer, is yelling, Rocky, stay down, mate, stay <laughs> down. The whole crowd just saying, Rocky, stay down. And of course, Rocky gets up. Apollo turns around and this look of disbelief at Rocky. He's been through all this shit, but somehow he just stands up in this moment and he's gonna, he's ready to fight some more. Jeez, what a man. Big old Rocky. So Goggins wanted to take some inspiration from from uh, from Rocky. I'm guessing he heard that tune playing in the in the back of his mind over and over. Goggins decided to make some serious changes. He woke up at 4:30 a.m. every single day. He munched on a bit of a banana while he was studying and hitting the books. At 5 a.m., he jumped on the stationary bike so he could read and exercise at the same time. He'd uh, sweat whilst he was studying for two hours. Then he drove over to the local high school where he'd swim for two hours. Then he hit the gym for two hours. After that, the whole time you've got the uh, big old Rocky playing in the background and he was doing everything he could to hit those goals of both studying harder and also losing the weight that he had to lose. So now after three months, he had to pass the exam and confirm that he lost the weight. And after going through the hell and putting himself through suffering that he's never been through in his life, he lost the weight. And finally, just after exam, he heard the words, congratulations, Goggins, you score 65. That's a great score. You're into the Air Force. So if, if Goggins could do something like that, I'm sure there's all a personal transformation that we can do, uh, something that we've always wanted to do, something that we thought was uh, impossible. Uh, I'm sure you can think of something that you want to do, some way that you want to transform yourself. Again, you need to dig out that journal that we uh, wrote in before. Write down all the things that you don't like doing, all those things that make you feel uncomfortable. For Goggins, obviously, it was reading books and exercising. And uh, you got to realize that those are the things that are probably going to be good for you. The thing that you fear the most is probably the thing that's going to lead to your greatest growth. So that's what you need to start doing. Start doing those things that make you feel uncomfortable. And soon you'll develop a more productive, more of a can-do attitude with yourself. Because looking in the accountability mirror and you got your goals and the difference between where you are now and where you want to be, there's going to be loads of discomfort that is going to be on the way of becoming, transforming yourself into the person that you want to be. The new David Goggins found himself in Hell Week, which comes in week three of his six-week program on the way to becoming a Navy SEAL. 
So this is after the throbbing ache in the muscles and joints has rushed up so high that you live every day and night on edge. Your lungs are inflating and deflating like canvas bags, squeezed tight in a, in a fist for 130 hours straight. You don't sleep at all. And worst of all, you've got the instructors trying to make your life be a living hell. And for Goggins, they had this guy called Psycho Pete. He was in their faces, screaming at the top of his lungs. His cheeks were flushed, and he was trying to put them through the bad dream that they didn't know was possible. And it was a dream that would kill them or define them. And kill them is quite literal because in the <laughs> book, someone dies in, in Hell Week. Oh, God, I don't know. I shouldn't have laughed just then. Yeah. That is very rough. Um, but this is what... So one of these guys, Psycho Pete... Uh, he was just, I guess, a personification of Goggins' uh, internal monologue. Everybody at pretty much every point throughout Hell Week is saying to themselves, why am I here? Why the hell am I still doing this? Why don't I go home to either the, the arms of, of my loved one or why don't I just go back to bed and just snuggle up and be nice and warm? And then you've got Psycho Pete there who's just yelling at them all. He's saying, you guys are all pathetic. I fucking hope you quit because in the field, you're going to get us killed. The, the point of these people is to get them to quit because, of course, the, the ones who quit are the ones who are going to be quitting in the battlefield, which is what you don't want. The, the sickos that make it through are exactly the type mm. of people you want to be on the front lines of the battlefield. So, Hell Week builds like a crescendo and it peaks on this Wednesday where it goes overnight. And at this stage, the whole body is oozing with uh, pus and blood everywhere and mentally they're all zombies. So on this Wednesday, the task that I had to do was, as a team of six, lift a boat up and down whilst bobbing in the surf all night. And at this stage, Goggins, his knee was like the size of a grapefruit. And he doesn't exaggerate. He's got photos of this stuff in the book <laughs> where it's quite literal. And the instructors, they were yelling at him and they were looking composed and comfortable. So in this down point, and everyone's thinking, why the hell am I here? And they're thinking about quitting. He needed to find something that could fuel him and get past this moment. Goggins wanted to find an enemy, someone that he could take on as his opponent. And he also wanted to have that as a common enemy that he could use to strengthen his team in this battle to try to get his other mates around him not to quit. Uh, and so he, he wanted his, his boat crew, his boat crew too, the guys who were pumping this thing up and down in the middle of the surf all night. Uh, he just said to them, look, no one fucks with boat crew too. And he turned to Psycho Pete and he says, all those instructors can go fuck themselves. Let's just show them what we're made of. And it's, it felt like within seconds, the whole team just basically came to life, going from these that were obviously soggy, their clothes, it was freezing cold water, it was pitch black, they were, a lot of them were ready to give up, they, they sort of were, their heads were starting to go underwater. It seemed like within seconds, they f figured, yep, I'm going to fight through this. They all came back to life and started the fight. So this was the first time Goggins has deployed a process, what he now calls taking souls. And in this case, it was a big fuck you to the instructors. And the whole boat crew right now, they had this second wind. And this was at the point of the toughest day and the toughest moment in hard week and the world's toughest training. Whilst everyone was struggling and going through the pain, boat crew two was going at lightning speed and actually making a mockery of, of how weak. And the look in the instructor's face told the whole story. Their mouths were literally hanging open whilst they witnessed something they'd never seen before. And they looked almost embarrassed, averting their eyes away from boat crew two. I know I personally have never gone through Hell Week and I'm pretty confident I never will. I don't know if anyone listening has. I think there was actually there was a, there was a couple of guys that, we, that we've met uh, through the podcast. It might have been uh, a couple of legends that we spoke to. But uh, uh, for me, the Hell Week, my own psycho Pete, isn't going to be something physical like this, but it could be something, uh, I guess, a bit more relevant to me. Maybe it's something in the, in the workplace or something in the business realm or whatever it is, but we're all going to face our own version of psycho Pete. 
So one example could be uh, your boss. Your boss comes in and tears shreds off you. Say you've been doing you've been doing shit work. Uh, you're useless. You're not contributing to the team. It seems like you've you used to be so good, but now you're dropping. Whatever it is, they come and tear shreds. You got a couple of choices as to how you respond to some criticism like this. Obviously, one way is just to throw in the towel and quit, just like Goggins bobbing up and down on Wednesday morning when things are so tough. That's a, an easy option on the table. But this taking souls concept goes the other way. Rather than doing that, you might actually rock up to work every day way before the boss and way after and just go so far the other way that they're embarrassed to actually be saying those remarks. The strategy you take to defeat your opponent to take souls is going to be obviously dependent on the situation itself. But basically what we can say is just giving up, throwing in the towel is probably the worst option out. If you want to really overcome this obstacle that presents itself in front of you, you got to work out what's the best way to beat this opponent, what's the best way to take souls and then do whatever you can to overcome it. Once you're in the heat of battle, it's really hard to keep this staying power. You might have people bullying you and in that moment, you might want to cave in. By taking souls here, you can look at them and laugh at them and in doing that, you're going to disempower them and take their soul in that context. If it's a physical challenge, you might have these internal demons you need to face before you can take your opponent's soul. Whoever you're dealing with, your goal in taking souls is to make them watch you achieve what they could have never done themselves. So you're going to take their negativity and use it to dominate their task with everything you've got. Goggins found himself in uh, a lot of physical discomfort, and that's a real understatement. All of the small bones in both of his feet were broken. He had uh, stress fractures all up his shins, and he was pissing blood. And he still, <laughs> and uh, this is when he was 70 miles into a 100-mile race. So he's pissing blood and he's still got 30 miles to go before he can finish this race. And of course, that question popped up in his head. Why the fuck are you still doing this <laughs> to, to yourself, Goggins? I'd be asking the same thing. Because he'd agreed to run 100 miles around this single lap course with no beautiful scenery or anything. It was just literally one one-mile lap without any training whatsoever. And even worse than that, the night before, one of his SEALs mates said, look, Goggins, <laughs> when the Vikings were getting ready to raid a fucking village and they were camped out in the woods in their tents, do you think they were just sitting around the campfire and drinking herbal tea? <laughs> Obviously implying they were doing some wild shit. I actually think they were drinking herbal tea. But Goggins went the other way and he thought, all right, I'm going to go and jack up some SEAL and did some wild leg squats and just killed the legs before this 100-mile race where he had no training for. Yeah, ridiculous. So Goggins was saying, look, I've been through hell week. I'm a, I'm a badass. I'm a Navy SEAL. 100 miles, pff, I can do that. He didn't even train for it and uh, basically got to the point where his body was absolutely breaking down. Uh, but what do you reckon the Gog man did? Do you reckon he gave up? No. <laughs> Obviously not. So this is the thing when we have these, when we set our most challenging goals and dreams, we make these decisions when we're comfortable on the couch we're fed, watered, and comfortable. This is when he made his decision. And right now, he's, he was 70 miles in and he had every opportunity to quit. But of course, he didn't. And the method he applied here running through his brain is 70 miles through to 100 was firstly the, the cookie jar concept. So what he says here with this cookie jar is we've all got a, a reservoir. We've all got a storage of wild shit that we've done in the past, really massive challenges that we've overcome. So Goggin says, whenever you're facing the, you know, the 70 mile of a 100 mile race, 
and your 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 legs and your sh- and your feet are broken, and you're still got to run 30 more laps of this boring ass one mile course. You got to open up the lid of that cookie jar and think, what's all the wild shit that you've done in the past? So Goggins could easily remember, you know, he lost a hundred pounds in three months. He could remember every day waking up at 4:30 a.m. to study and and train at the same time. He could remember getting thrown into the freezing cold waters in the middle of May and having to cop the barrage of waves breaking on top of their head at 1:30 a.m. in the morning. He remembered all the challenges of Hell Week and he thought, "Look, I'm in a fair bit of pain right now, mm-hmm. but it's nothing that I haven't done before, so I can keep pushing through." So each uh, of those cookies, all those things that he'd done in the past were able to fuel him through to say, hey, actually, you feel like giving up, but you know what? You actually can do this. So, he'd done a whole bunch of stuff at this stage and digging into the cookie jar work pushed him through to the end and at 100 miles, he just ran that extra one mile just to put himself through that extra suffering and pain and straight after it, he passed out on the ground. He had shit and blood coming out of every, <laughs> every hole in his body, <laughs> shit coming out of everywhere as well, right? And he was, he was rushed straight to the ER room and he was lying there almost dead and for him, this pain and suffering he was going through was his trophy ceremony and this was confirmation to him that he'd mastered his own mind. And of course, uh, just getting through that and getting through this race, he's, got, he's now got another big, big, very big, very delicious, very tasty cookie that he can chuck in the cookie jar for the next time that it comes around. So, uh, he says to you, I don't know, if I've never run a 100-mile race, I never will, but uh, he says for you that, uh, one, you know, that remember that journal we've been writing in? Here's another thing you need to do. Write down all those major achievements you've done in your life. Obviously, it could be the, the physical achievements, you've done a triathlon, you've done a marathon, you've climbed Everest, whatever that is, but it could be other obstacles you've come, overcome in your life. It could be overcoming depression, it could be getting rid of a stutter, it could be quitting smoking, all of these things you've done, maybe even a major project that you thought was impossible that you managed to get to the end of, all these things, write them down, they become your, your cookie jar. So then the next time you face a big challenge in life, just open the lid of that cookie jar and remember... It feels like shit right now, but you've actually been able to do some pretty wild shit in the past as well, so you can get through this. Let's pause and take a think about the two different Goggins we've come across now because he, back in his mind somewhere, he remembered that one, the fat one in front of the mirror who just had nothing and couldn't really do anything and he'd come so far to be the person he was today and he started asking himself the questions, right? Like, what am I actually capable of? I used to just settle for less than my best at work, at school, in relationships and all of us are probably doing this right now. We can ask ourselves the same question. What are we actually capable of and are we actually pushing ourselves to reach those, that point? And what Goggin says, he says that uh, most people, uh, the way we see ourselves and the limits that we can achieve in our possibilities and our potential in life, Goggin says most people actually stop at about 40%. Uh, that's pretty hard to hard to think about, but he says most people limit themselves to 40% of their true potential. The first hurdle that you face, the first time you think this is too much for me, the first time you think, oh, this is absolutely impossible for me to get over, Goggin says, mm. actually, you're wrong. That's only 40% of your potential. You've got a whole 60% beyond this mm. barrier that you're currently facing that if you're willing to tap into it, if you're willing to push through it, you've got a whole bunch of potential waiting for you on the other side. Man, I can somewhat verify the... Goggins 40% rule. When I, I think I told you this, when I first got the audio book and I had it in my ear, I previously used to go for runs that were at about uh, four to five kilometers in that range. And then listen to this. If you listen to this shit, there's no way you can stop at four or five Ks. <laughs> Just listen to his stories and shit and pissing it out, blood and vomit coming out of everywhere. Right. So right there in that one run, I went to 12K and pretty easy. And I did ask the question like, geez, have I just been 
<laughs> assuming that my limit's four to five k, when clearly I've just proven to myself that's just bullshit. He says there's a part of a, a car engine, one that I know nothing about. The if I lifted up the hood, I'd know whether where you put the water to wash the windows, and I know how to check the check the dipstick. But beyond that, I've got no idea. There's a thing in there called the governor, and he says this is what really limits the engine from from going running too fast and running too far uh, above its capabilities. He says we've all got this governor buried deep in our minds, and it really is part of our identity. Uh, this is all the the limits that we call ourselves. So basically, whenever we try to push the limits, the governor inside our brain is telling us, hey, hey, hey. That's enough. Slow down. Calm down. You can't do more than this. You can't go beyond this. And Goggin says that governor limit, that's set to 40%. That's when we get to the what we perceive as the limit and the governor tells us is the limit. And that's where generally most people stop. That's where generally most people say, look, I gave it all I can give. I've hit my absolute potential here. There's nothing more I can do. If you can train yourself to rewire that governor, the governor will stop limiting you. You'll start to realize that actually beyond what you perceive as your limit is actually a whole bunch more that you've still got to give. Now, obviously, David Gongs is a wild man when it comes to the physical world, but the 40% rule, it can be applied to anything in every context, not just physical challenges. It could be whether at work, school, whenever you're feeling tested in any circumstance you might be, you can take off the governor and find yourself a new limit. Like, for example, I probably think I'm a pretty hard worker and uh, really putting in the big hours, 50, 60 hours, maybe very big week will be 70 hours. Surely no one else is doing more than that. But if I just look around, there's other people in the world like your mate Elon Musk and you hear stories from him. He's working 20 hours a day, right? 19, 20 hours a day. He's clocking up 140 hours. (laughs) And obviously, the governor for me has put some artificial limit on what my capacity is in this area. Um, obviously, there's some downside of working so hard, but it just shows one example where our governor can come in and, and set limits on ourselves. In South Africa, the sand people dance for 30 hours straight as a way to commune with the divine. In Tibet, pilgrims rise and kneel, then stretch out face down in a ritual of prostration for weeks and months on end. And in Japan, some bloody wild Zen monks inspired by Gogenzi maybe, <laughs> they run 1,000 marathons in 1,000 days in a quest to find enlightenment through pain and suffering. That's wild. Very, very wild. Uh, enlightenment is like a big, uh, a big uh, level to try to attain. But Gogan says that pain uh, 100%, so he's very certain, 100% pain unlocks some kind of secret doorway in the mind and that's one that leads to peak performance. At first, when you push past these perceived uh, capacities that uh, perceived uh, the governor that's limiting your mind uh, the the whole time it's saying um, why are you doing this why are you doing this it's okay to stop it's okay to give up it's not going to shut up until you make it shut up the Buddha said life is suffering and to exist in the world we must contend with our humiliation broken dreams sadness and loss and it's just nature and each single person we've got our own personalized version of suffering and pain if it's not here yet it's actually going to come for you in some way and because of this, a lot of us were programmed to seek comfort in any way we can to just avoid and numb all the pain out of our lives as best we can. We carve out safe spaces, you consume easy media that confirms with your beliefs, or you take up hobbies that align with your talents and do anything you can to just avoid discomfort. 
Yeah, we live a life that's defined by limits, physical limits, emotional limits, uh, intellectual limits. We put limits on ourselves uh, because it's comfortable. It's comfortable to stay inside a box. It's comfortable not to have to push past that 40%. It's comfortable not to have to open up the cookie jar to get you through the tough times. Uh, But for some people, uh, that comfort actually feels like bondage. So for people like Goggins, he feels trapped by the limits. He wants to break out of those limits. He wants to push those limits to the absolute... I was going to say the absolute limit. <laughs> Push it to the limit. Push the limits to the limit. And that's exactly what the Goggins is doing and that's exactly what we can do as well. When we enter this earth, we're eligible to take our first breath and this means we're eligible to die. But this also means we're eligible to find our true greatness and become that one warrior that we mentioned at the start. It's up to us to equip ourselves for the battle ahead and only you listening right now, you can master your mind. And this is what it takes to live a bold life filled with accomplishments that most people out there, they think it's beyond possibility. 